This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, Andy McElray, owner of McElray Racing here in Australia and father of IndyCar up-and-comer Hunter, will join us for a chat. We'll also discuss all the news going around with Richard Crowell and Mark Walker a little later in the show. But first, the news, and after this show was recorded, supercars have announced the support categories and schedule for the first of four Sydney Motorsport Park events. The Bunnings Trade Sydney Superdite, which takes place on October 29 to 31, will be supported by regular supercar support categories, Super Utes and the Toyota Gazoo Racing Australia 86 Series. There will also be two state championships, on the card, being the Industry New South Wales Super Sports Championship and the Kumo Tyre New South Wales Sports Sedans. Each of these four categories will enjoy three races off the back of two practice sessions and a qualifying. Also, since the recording of this podcast, it's been announced Channel 7 will provide free-to-air coverage of this event with the Supercars race to be held on Saturday night and two on the Sunday afternoon. In other supercar news, Alex Davison and Tony Delberto have been announced as co-drivers for Will Davison and Anton Di Pasquale for this year's Bathurst race. It was expected that Scott McLaughlin would partner up with the Dick Johnson Racing driver Will Davison, but the pandemic and quarantine restrictions seem to have put an end to that. Jack LeBrock and Jake Kostecki have swapped seats for season 2022, with LeBrock heading off to Matt Stone Racing, while Kostecki will join Tickford. And Jamie Winkup and his partner have revealed that they are expecting their first child in late February 2022. We wish them all the best. F1 News, and after a week's break, the F1 Circus is back on track this weekend in Turkey. Dale Rogers has this preview. Dale. Thanks, Tony. For the second year running, Formula 1 returns to Istanbul Park in Turkey for the uh, 2021 Turkish Grand Prix. The uh, circuit last year provided an extraordinary race. Uh, it was pandemonium in parts thanks to the weather wreaking uh, complete havoc with the race. A very, very slippery newly laid racetrack, saw cars sliding here, there and everywhere and surprise results all weekend. Uh, Lewis Hamilton was the winner last year in an absolute masterclass uh, performance and it will be remembered from Australia's point of view of uh, Dan Ricciardo uh, running into or being pushed into his teammate Esteban Ocon at Turn 1 and really ruining his race for the day. Uh, uh, Ricciardo finishing 10th last year. Uh, interesting to look at the weather forecast this, this weekend, Tony, and again it is forecast for some rain on Saturday and Sunday, but only a 50% of showers, not that we see... Uh, last year. Some interesting support races for a change you're looking at this uh, this year and um, they've got the Caterham Cup on, uh, the Intercity Platinum Cup for, Caterham, for Caterhams and also uh, a race for Renault Magans and Renault Clios. So uh, for once there's a couple of support races on these uh, things that are not Career Cup uh, or, or uh, Formula 3 or Formula 2. So some uh, Interesting racing there as well. Let's look at the race itself. Uh, Pirelli uh, changing slightly the tyre mix for the year, going for a C4, C3 and C2 combination, which sends us one uh, one rating higher than last year. Of the favourites, uh, well, it's again, of course, it's, it's Hamilton and uh, Verstappen. Uh, the uh, the Red Bull pr- 
proved to be a very, very quick car last year, uh, albeit that it didn't end up winning. Uh, Verstappen finishing sixth in uh, in 2020. I expect the uh, Red Bulls and Mercedes to be on it once again. Uh, and it'll be interesting just to see again how these the two teammates will play into this, whether Bottas uh, can actually do something with uh, his last well, remaining races with Mercedes-Benz. And of course, uh, the sort of hot and cold Perez uh, also for uh, Red Bull Racing Honda. Uh, McLaren definitely become a threat, I think, in, in this mix now. So the, uh, the that, that battle for third place in the World Championship with Ferrari is on in earnest. And I think we'll see McLaren and Ferrari once again go head to head. Uh, Aston Martin, an interesting one as well. Uh, a little bit of a, a spoiler sometimes in that top 10. But uh, looking forward to a great event here. It's a ripper circuit, uh, one, of, one of the really great circuits, and it's good to, for it to have it back. Um, it, it, it certainly has some, some great undulation, which always proves to be well. So there's some, some really, really good passing opportunities and some fantastic high-speed corners, the famous Turn 8. So great to see Turkey back. It will be off at Instant Bell Park this weekend, and we'll wrap it up next week on On The Grid. Back to you in the studio, Tony. Thanks, Dale. Rally news, Molly Taylor has finished her first WRC event for season 2021. Driving an M Sport Poland Ford Fiesta Rally 3, she ended up 20th overall in the Rally of Finland. The event was won by Alfred Evans. He's second win of the year and is just now 24 points off the top of the championship with two rallies to go. And in MotoGP, Jack Miller made life easy for his teammate Francesco Bagnaia by letting him pass in the MotoGP Grand Prix of the Americas. In doing so, Miller ensured that Bagnaia is the only rider who could still catch championship leader Fabio Quadrero, who holds the lead by 52 points. All right, that's this week's news. Let's get into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, as he does always off the top of the program, we say good day to Richard Crowell from RaceTalk.com. Hello, Crowley. Hello, Tony Shebecki. How are you? Mate, I'm fantastic. Uh, just life's improving. There's it's, light at the end of the tunnel somewhere. It's Very been faint a, at the moment. It's but... been a bloody long tunnel. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're, we're coming out on the other side with a certainty with some calendar dates, at least for the supercar side of things, where yeah. the sports land on that will hopefully find out soon. And a lot of that will depend on border openings and closures and things like that. But hopefully we can get them back to racing. Uh, I've missed the sound of flat six Porsches, Shebex. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been hard work. It's been a bloody long time since Townsville. Yeah, it certainly has, mate. You're right. And we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago about the effect that this uh, pandemic has had on motor racing in Australia, right across the board from team owners right through to spectators. And we thought we'd get Andy McElray on the program today, of course, uh, running McElray Racing, been a very big part of Australian Porsche Carrera Cup and also GTs, and of course his son Hunter is doing extremely well over in the States, just to find out exactly how things are going through their camp. Andy, day to you. Yeah, afternoon chaps, it's jolly good to see you again, it's been, been a while, like you said, Townsville seems like a couple of years ago. Well, Townsville for him, it's, I think it was Adelaide last year for me since I last saw you, so it has been a damn long time, but we've been following your interests on Facebook, especially the interests of Hunter, your son, and mate, congratulations with uh, the work that he's done over in the States. It's been a very, very rewarding couple of years. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit weird. I kind of, with, with our team and our team drivers being so important to, to me and, and everyone within the team, it's, it's uh, interesting. Hunter's career kind of lives in a separate little box in, in my mind. And 
um, when I go over to watch his races and things, obviously I'm as I'm, I'm as in, in, um, involved in it as any any dad would be. But um, on the day to day stuff over here, I don't. It's not front of mind because he's being looked after so well over there. But um, yeah, thank you. He's had a he's had a really challenging year. He his intention was to go and win the championship this year and and win a seven hundred and fifty thousand US dollar scholarship to to um, be able to take the step up to Indy Lights, but. We had some some little mysterious issues in the middle of the season, um, and and basically had a couple of bad rounds. And without those rounds, I did the silly thing this morning and did a calculation. Without those two rounds, if they hadn't happened, he would have won the championship by three points. So um, that's all crying over spilt milk. It doesn't matter. It just but it does prove that when when things were happening right, that they were competitive and and you know it would have would have had a, a fair shot at winning it had things uh, gone a bit differently. Yeah, I think he's sort of, he's proved his competitive intent one way or another. And the other thing I love, and and anyone who knew Hunter before he went overseas would have got this, would have, was going to happen. But he's been embraced by the looks of it by that open wheel community in the States. And and it's sort of at a, a slightly lower scale, but it seems to me in a similar way that Scotty's been embraced by the IndyCar fandom, Scott McLaughlin. And they've just wrapped their arms around him. They love his outgoing nature. They love his honest sort of upfront approach to it all. And he's sort of wide eyed. How cool is this approach? And I feel like Hunter's sort of been accepted in a similar sort of way. Yeah, actually that's a, I hadn't thought of that specifically, um, but yeah, hundred percent correct. He's whether his personality appeals to, to the Americans, obviously the fact that he was born there doesn't really have anything to do with his personality, but um his his interesting lineage with uh, being born there, racing under a Kiwi passport, but growing up his whole life in Australia, and and, and Australia is really home for him. But mm. um, you know that makes him probably interesting to them. But yeah, he 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 loves it there. Absolutely loves it. He wanted to be an IndyCar driver from the time he was a kid. So um, they they seem to yeah, really embrace him, which is very generous. I've got to ask now. You are a team owner, and your team in particular has been famous for bringing young drivers through the ranks of, of one make Porsche racing in particular. So you would have dealt with your fair share of racing parents over the journey. I would imagine. Uh, how do you go as a racing dad? Do you, do you approach it differently because you've seen it from the other side? You know what it's like as a team owner to go, Oh God, here's an angry parent. Cause the car's just broken or he's just been given a hundred grand repair bill. Cause genius whacked the thing against the fence. Do you, do you approach it differently or are you just the same kind of racing parent riding every emotion when you're watching Hunter race? Before you answer that, can I also add to the question? <laughs> when you had those two rounds in the middle that were a little bit of a mishap, did you feel like sending over your people to see if you could fix the problem? <laughs> okay, well that's a that's a that's a nice little addition to the question, actually, Shabex. But um, I I am yeah, I've had I've had every type of racing dad you can imagine as customers. Um, and I'm really pleased to report that that all the families we have with us now are fantastic. Um, whether it's you from having a bit of a reputation as making it clear to mum and dad that they'll be sitting in the grandstand with a sandwich for the day and not um, looking over the shoulder, looking at the data. Um, so, yeah, it's whether it's the education process or whether we've just ended up with a really great group of, of drivers and families. But... Um, 
I'm very mindful of not being that dad uh, when I'm when I'm there, and you know, obviously having two years um, eating Maria Ritter's sandwiches and the, <laughs> the site team um, while Hunter was getting yelled at by Mick, um, you know that. I knew how to behave before before we went before mm. Hunter went to Sonic and and when when I've um, been in the states, I'm very very aware of um, of the racing dad syndrome and probably more than most as I ought to. Um, I'm normally the only dad in the team that doesn't have a headset on, um, and I'm of the philosophy that we chose the team that we're running with. We need to trust them 100 um, percent and. Me hopping on the radio or or listening in is not going to make any difference to the outcome. So, um, yeah, I've I, I I wouldn't say I have to work hard at it because it's it's pretty natural for me just to, to in 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 you know in that environment as being the dad just sitting in the in the corner and having my, my hot dog and my Pepsi and um, watching watching what goes on. Now but to I, answer your question, Shabex. Yeah, refresh my memory. What was it? What was well, the it? question was when you had that little bit of a glitch in the middle of the season oh. with those two rounds where there was some things going on that no one really knew what was happening. Yeah. Was there a so, uh, tendency for you to say, "Well, hang on, can we uh, send a couple of our guys over <laughs> to see if we can help?" You've been spying on us. That's a that's a very good question. So <laughs> it was so it, it got pretty. Hunter did a a, a a show with with Greg Murphy in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago, and apparently it went down. I haven't seen it, but apparently it went down well because it was he was very honest about how low um, he got uh, emotionally and confidence wise in the middle of the season when they had that bad run, and um, and how he had to pull his finger out without mum or dad to to have a shoulder to cry on. He had to pick himself up himself and and get it get it sorted. So um and then and and then bounce back to win the next race. So um apparently that was a re- really good story. But the 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 backstory to that is there was it got so bad that I got a call at three in the morning and there was a, a crisis meeting between the team owner, the engineer, and, and the driver. And um, I, I had a, it was three hours on the phone doing hostage negotiation, talking old mate off the ledge, and he was ready to hop in an Uber and go to the airport. It was it, it was that bad. Um, and there's nothing against the team because the, the, the PABS team have been fantastic the whole way through. Um, you know, we couldn't be happier. It, it was... It, you know, the problems that, that that we had of something that happens in racing when you're trying to push the envelope and that's all that was. But it got really bad and and, and to their credit, midway through that that um, dilemma, I actually got them, and this is unheard of, and, um, is they sent us the data and footage from Hunter's car and his teammate's car from um, Road America and, and our own Lee Geyer. Um, he spent two days... Probably spent twenty something hours going through all the data and all the various channels to look to try and help find them. And it was purely to work with them to see if we could have uh, have some input with a fresh set of eyes and ears. And um, I won't say that we found the problem, but we certainly came to the same conclusion that they did, um, albeit after two two bad rounds where um, where the braking issues were causing drama. So yeah, we we actually got involved in. Like I said to to Augie, the owner of the team, I said, "Man, I just cannot imagine 
one of our dads saying, hey, Andy, send me the footage and data from my kid's car and let me help you with the problem. And I said, that, that, that ain't going to happen in our team. So I realised it's a very unique situation. But clearly, you know, they trusted us and um, trusted that we were going to help him and not try and hang him with the information. So, yeah, it was it was a very, very unique situation. Yeah, that's fascinating because I, I can't imagine, and like you touched on, they'd have many people that aren't just the parent, but they also own a professional racing team at a similar sort of level. Cause as a career cup team, you're on the pathway for a lot of these drivers, either going to super cup or GT or supercars. So it's the synergies are actually quite remarkable between the two of them. So it's a, it's sort of a really unique situation that both you and perhaps racing have, have found themselves in, in that, that sort of scenario, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably, you know, a lot goes on, it's like when you have a good relationship with a with a driver or a parent or a partner or whoever, um, a lot goes on that's unspoken. And when you know they're a, they're a family team like what we are, um, and you know, and most of the teams in Australia at our level, so there, there's a lot that we understood about each other that um, that you know there were a lot of things that didn't need to be discussed because it was stating the obvious and. It's, it, it certainly helped us to have a great relationship with those guys for, for three years and, and we'll be, we'll be, uh, we'll be friends for, forever, I should, I should say. One thing the American motor racing scene is well known for is its pathway for its uh, people to work through for NASCAR. It's a you know, truck into Xfinity, into, uh, into Cup, and Indy is pretty much the same as you go through and then Indy lights into, into Indy cars. You mentioned the fact that a win of the championship would have given him a, a, a direct path into Indy lights. Has that dream, is that dream still alive, even though he didn't win the championship? Yeah, um, it, it is. It's 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 very much alive. It's quite dependent over the, the like the next um, the timing. The timing I was having this chat is quite interesting because the the next couple of weeks are very uh, going to be very influential as to how next year looks for him. Um, he's got some really really good uh, sponsors uh, that are supporting him, particularly from New Zealand. He just seems to have had more traction over there with. Um, the Giltrap Group and, and Doric New Zealand and some others that have been very good supporters of us for, for a number of years now. Um, so we need to see what their intentions are for next year. Obviously, we're only a day and a half after the end of this championship, yeah. so mm. getting the timing right and, and just seeing what their intentions are. Plus, he's had a group of uh, silent backers who have been absolutely influential in, in helping get the bills paid over the last three years. So... Um, yeah, the next couple of weeks are going to be very telling, but the, the intention is is definitely to to try and get up to Indy Lights and um, and and have a have a crack at the top level. And it's it, it's quite interesting that in his first year over there in 09 in, in, in the USF Championship, there were three kids that uh, were first, second, third in the championship, and they all swapped race wins, and it was. It was um, a kid called Braden Eves who won the USF Championship. There's another Danish kid called Christian Rasmussen um, who won Indy Pro this year, and there was Hunter. And, 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 and those three guys have pretty much been the class of the field in, in, in every season that they've raced together. So um, it would be cool if all three of them got to go up yeah. uh, together and, and sort of continue that little trilogy. Um, so... Yeah, we've got our fingers crossed that we can we can put something together. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be uh, very exciting if we can. 
and a good time to go to Indy Lights as well, I think, because uh, Penske Entertainment's just taken over the championship. They've sort of bought it under the roof rather than the Anderson Promotions management where it's been. So you can imagine anything the captain does, there's significant investment behind and changes to make it better and stronger to, to bolster that pathway. So it feels like a good time to be going to Indy Lights. And IndyCar's in such a good place at the moment, Andy, with a bunch of young drivers coming up through that ladder. Like, it's it's paying off. So it strikes me as the time to be there. Yeah, well, uh, um, I learned many years ago, particularly more in a business context than anything, but um, sometimes it's it's better to be lucky than good. Yes. And um, I think we're in that situation, or Hunter's in that situation where um, – and racing when you get up to this level timing is everything and i think you're 100 right we it was quite a surprise to hear that indycar were taking so yeah indycar were taking lights back under their um wing which which they they owned the championship all the way through but mm. they handed over to anderson promotions to promote for i think the last 12 or 13 years so could be a really good time for to be in indy lights and to be competitive in the championship if he is um and um, that that apparent. I just read something on Twitter earlier today that um, the the main premise of that, according to the captain, is to make the pathway between lights and the main show uh, easier and more defined. So that obviously sounds good because it looks like there's a, a wave of F1 refugees heading there yes. as well. So yeah. there's yeah. some pretty stiff competition. Hey, um, great news last week, and we had him on the show, that young Cooper Murray has got the nod to head to Europe this December to be part of the, or November, to be part of the, the Porsche Junior Shootout. So he's the third McElroy driver to do that in five years, I think, if not yes. a little bit less than that, because we skipped last yeah. year. Um, you must be proud of that, given everything that's happened in the last two years and the fact he's only raced a cup car five times in two years. Mm. Um, to get that nod's a great a great little tribute to young Cooper and how fast a, a driver he's become. Yeah, 100% correct. It's it's absolutely um, fair um, that that's happened. Uh, as, as the three of us remember staring at each other in a September 11-like state at the Grand Prix last year, mm. you know, when we realised that, that the world was about to change, um, the... Yeah, he was leading the championship handsomely um, after the first one and a half rounds. And you can tell when a driver's got wind in their sails and, and are going to be near impossible to, to beat. And he was in that place um, for sure and for the 21 championship. And then it all stopped. And like a lot of Melbourne people, it, it hit, hit Cooper and his family really hard, being locked up as long as they were. And it was hard to stay positive. So um, this year... You know, it's the old story. You know, you know, he looked like he was going to do it easy last year. Then this year, just a couple of balls have rolled the wrong way for him, and and it, it, he wasn't where he expected to be. And, and and Cam Hill and his team have done a super job. Um, so he wasn't dominating the championship like he expected to do. So, um, it's absolutely um, justified, and it's and it's also thanks to the good work of. Troy Bundy and Porsche Cars Australia to um, represent or to push his case to the Germans to to give us a, a wild card entry to allow a kid that deserved to be there mm. a, a shot at it. So um, yeah, it's 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 very very cool and for us as a team. Obviously, we're really proud. Um, 
that he's the third kid to go over and it would be pretty uh, pretty special if he was to follow in the footsteps as his two predecessors. That'd be pretty amazing. Who weren't too bad, Matty Campbell yeah, and Johnson Evans. They, they go all right. Do you take any time out at any point to sort of sit back and see who has come through the door and work out an order of who's who? Oh, without, without our team, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, well, I've got this. I, I started probably over a few beers. I've probably come up with the idea, but I started a little numbering system years ago. Um, you know, it's very inappropriate to, to treat people as numbers, but um, I, Daniel Gaunt is, is MR1. He was our first ever driver. So I, I've got a, a little note on my phone of all the MR drivers and what number they are, I think. Luffy's MR7, I believe, but um, there's there's 70 something of them now. It sounds like um, secret agents or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds pretty pretty special, doesn't it? TV show in that, I reckon. Yeah. Um, well, well, while COVID was on last year, it was actually a bit of social media content for us it because was. I, I ran through all the drivers and, and tried to be as diplomatic as I could about some of them. Um, <laughs> uh, but um so it's pretty yeah it's pretty amazing to look at the drivers that have come through and you know obviously with the primes that we did a few years ago um the the enduro races with where we got you know v8 superstars to come and join our pro-am drivers and things that was really cool so we've got some pretty big names like um uh, percat and dave reynolds and co mm. on the on the list um but obviously the ones that we've developed are the ones we're most proud of obviously and we've got you know, really, really good bunch of hot young talent at the moment. Let's like, talk about the business side of things. The last just, couple just of years have been tough for everyone, but your business is no different to a jeans business or a, a clothing business or anything. You have stock that you need people to buy, and that's how it works. You have cars, people come in, they race them, they pay you for racing the cars. When you're not racing, you've still got those cars, you pay for them, the money's not coming in. How tough has business been? In the last eighteen to twenty months, um, uh, it's been it's been extraordinarily tough. It's like a situation that you would never ever imagine could happen um, in in business or racing. Um, and for us, you know, last year the JobKeeper um, program literally kept us kept us breathing, um, which was which was you know, like ourselves and a lot of other small businesses that, that got us through. Um, when this year, it's a little different. And for us, um, we, we've been very fortunate that I diversified the business mm. um, with the with the, our retail shop, the MR Tuning, which sits next door to the race shop. And when the shit hit the fan last year, I went to my Dano, my manager of the tuning business, and said, mate, right, let's call our customers, the ones we know have got collections of cars. Let's rattle the can and see what business we can drum up. And we did. We both got on the phone and we got nothing because everyone, no matter what their net worth was or what they um, they owned, how big their business was, everyone froze um, and was preparing for Armageddon in, in, in April last year. This And, and since then... Our, our retail business has grown enormously um, for one reason or another, but mainly because they've been doing a really good job. So this time, when we stopped racing a few months ago, we've got work that was backed up in the in, in the tuning shop. We've got fresh work coming in. We've got businesses growing and growing. So fortunately, my two full-time 
mechanics in the race shop are, uh, have been busy doing retail work for the last couple of months. So for us, it's kind of virtually equal, or it's actually probably slightly exceeded what the JobKeeper subsidy was doing for us last year. So um, the only guy that misses out is, is Lee, our team manager, who he started a home handyman business um, in, in the COVID um, era last year, and he was able to, to, to switch the turn the key and switch that business back on. And clearly, he's a very, very, uh, very smart guy and very valuable guy to the business. So the fact he's been good enough to go and make his own arrangements for a couple of months and take that overhead out of the business is another thing that kind of proves that we've got really good people that are got the, the business interest at heart. So that's that's how we're getting by. But it's tough. Yeah. It, it, it's been interesting, Andy, to get the varying viewpoints. And, and often, if you do a, a round, you know, ring around of various team owners in the sport, you'll get four different answers about what yeah. they're doing. But yeah. the last 18 months, everyone's been singing from the same hymn sheet. So you'd speak to Mark Rundle at BRM over yeah. here in Adelaide, and he'll tell you the same stuff as David Wall in Sydney and, and Mick and Maria Ritter down in Melbourne, yourself in Queensland. It, it's been the same tale of the tape, but do you, do you compare notes as well? Do you, do you talk to your rivals and I know some of the mates as well that you, you race hard with and then enjoy a a beverage with afterwards, but have you, have you compared notes with a, with a Ritter or or somebody else that's in a similar position to you just to, to see how others are going? Now you've made me feel bad. (laughs) Don't. Because I should have. Um, We haven't like, because um, Hunter still has a really good relationship with with Mick and Maria. Um, I probably uh, communicate with them out of school, uh, but mm. more than anyone else. But you know, Dave Wall's been a mate for a long, long time. He drove for us in 06 and 07. Um, and Ash is actually pretty good at picking up the phone, um, normally to see if we can get together and, and influence a decision somewhere. But um, <laughs> No, I, I, I don't, and I, I, I probably will now. I'll probably give – actually, no, it's not true. I, Maria and I had a little email exchange last week, which wasn't about racing. So, yeah, but it's it's a good point. I have had a number of people, other business people, just call and, and, and say, how are you going? Um, and they're people that have been, you know, sponsors or supporters or, you know, partners with No Second Chance or one of those. Mm sorts of connections um and it's it's pretty cool that people are prepared to pick up the phone and make sure you're going okay you just mentioned one final thing i want to touch on which is n2c which is a a really really cool program that's been going for a while has that been affected by covid as well obviously schools have been shut down for a a lot of this period so just just bring us up to speed on that program where it's at and how that's gone for the last two years yeah sure Um, so we, we obviously go to schools all around the country, typically linking up with the Carrera Cup round. So it's a, it's a national program where we talk to year 11s and 12s about making smart decisions um, and uh, being smart on the road and all those sorts of things. Um, so we've been obviously stuck in Queensland this year. So we normally do eight to 10 of those programs a year um, in schools, detention centres, sports groups, whatever um, comes along or, or uh fits best with our schedule uh, so this year we've done we've only done three so far we've got another two planned uh, in Brisbane actually uh, next month but right. so it has been affected yeah we haven't got out as much as we can but we've 
you know, the fact that we haven't been locked down has allowed us to get out and, and at least get three of them um, done so far. Um, so, yeah, it's like everything, it's it's slowed down, but we're doing doing what we can because it's an important thing and it's a message that people or kids need to, to hear. So, and we want to just keep the momentum with it as well. Well, I'm involved with a, uh, a mob called The Mail Hug and it's Talktober at the moment, Andy, where we ask men to call a mate every day for the month of Talktober. So you now have a reason to take part in Talktober, call a mate in racing every day for the rest of the month and say good day. I haven't got 30 mates. You can call <laughs> 10 blokes three times. <laughs> good on you, mate. It's been, you are our mate. We, uh, we're really glad that's the situation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations, as we said, on the year or two that Hunter's had over there. It's been spectacular to follow his progress, and let's hope that 2022 is a massive year for him. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys, and thanks for having me on the show. Andy McElroy joining us here on The Grid. All right, Krause joining us for a chat, as he always does. For the second half of the program, Mark Walker, hello to you, sir. Mr. Beck, you're Richard Crail. Uh, great to be podcasting once again. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, it was just a lovely chat to Andy McElroy. Richard, uh, Hunter looks like he's going to go places, doesn't he? Yeah, it's really exciting. Hunter's a great kid. We've had him on the show before. Really affable young bloke. And, and I was um, fortunate enough to go and spend some time on the McElroy simulator which makes me sound more impressive than it really is um, a couple of years ago and, and caught up with them for, for dinner afterwards. And Hunter was telling me then about his dreams to go and race in IndyCar racing, which was, was great. And he's always been very, very dedicated to that dream and following that pathway, which I think is terrific. And uh, he's worked extremely hard to fund himself over there. He's not doing it with an enormous amount of family money. Um, as you heard from from Andy yeah. himself, they've, they've battled just to keep the doors open at the race team. So that's um, a testament to young Hunter and and how well he's he's been going and how, his ability to raise the cash to do it. So exciting times. And, and as Andy touched on at the end, we get another another little bit of Antipodean influence on that side of the the Pacific as well as what's going on in Europe at the moment. So there was a period there, boys, and and, and jump in on this, Mark, where you'd be a bit worried. I was a bit worried about where our next Ricardo or power would come from, mm. but all of a sudden there's just been this, not a, not a rush, but certainly a decent flow of great talent like your piastries that have, and your doings who have emerged onto the scene. And we've got Hunter on the other side of the ditch as well. So really exciting times. It, wild take, but remember when F4 kicked off here and it was all about, we're going to home grow our Aussie talent here and we're going to send them overseas. And it never worked because if you mm. want to go and race an IndyCar, you do the ladder over there. Mm. If you want to race an F1, there's a very well-defined you know, progression you can take in Europe. So these young guys going over there, starting at the bottom rung, you know, obviously Hunter had some experience here in Formula Ford, whatnot. But if you want to go over there and race, go and do it. Join mm. the ladder over there and it's relatively cost-effective. It's well-defined. There's systems in place with scholarships and all that sort of thing. If you are successful, you will go up the ladder. If he goes out there, you know, if he winds up indie lights and then you win that, then you've got a, a clear step into IndyCar. So go do it. Yeah, well, it's you probably, get, you're guaranteed. 
you're guaranteed Shebeck's an Indy 500 start. Yep. Or, or yeah. an, an entry. You might not make the race, but you're guaranteed an entry uh, and two other IndyCar rounds. So you're an IndyCar driver. If you win Indy Lights, it doesn't cost you a cent. So that's a, an enormous uh, an enormous thing to have. So, you know, we could be having this conversation end of next year and assuming Hunter goes and does a deal to get into any lights, he could win the title and, and be an IndyCar driver the year after. And it's interesting too that Penske's taken over the feeder mm. categories over there as well. So it's right in, in the umbrella in the fold over there. So that's a, a good thing. So this is a question you brought up though about the Formula 4 and guys that have come through that system and where they've ended up. And you could probably say the two most successful kids that have driven in Formula 4, one would have to be Will Brown on the basis that he's driving in Australia's premier category here. And then probably Liam Lawson would have to be the other with what he did in F2 last year, winning a few races and and the like. Well, and I think he's just got a Red Bull F1 test, I think, doesn't he? At some point, young driver test, potentially. Possibly, yeah. So, yeah, I I called his first weekend. You were away. Yeah, you were in Uh, Sandown in the wet. Correct, yeah. Yeah. He absolutely smoked them. And this kid was 15 and the quietest, most reserved little kid. He didn't have that sort of plucky Kiwi, I don't know what the word is about him at that point. But, um, you know, it's just something the Kiwis have got. I don't know. I like it. It's great. But, uh, yeah, he was terrific there. So, yeah, and Zane Goddard came through that as well. So, look, it it produced some talent, but it was never the be-all and end-all that I think Motorsport Australia wanted it to be at the time, which is ultimately why it disappeared and hasn't been replaced. Hey, plenty of news uh, doing the rounds at the moment. And as we record this on a Tuesday night, news coming through our feeds at the moment that uh, silly season continues with a couple of uh, seat changes possibly for next year, Mark. Yeah, Speed Cafe there was reporting that Jack LeBrock's off to Matt Stone Racing and Zane Goddard, uh, Zane Goddard Jack Kostecki's off to uh, Tickford, which is interesting news. Um, yeah, that's very interesting, I think. Well, what do you, what's your take, Rich? Because, well, uh, I mean, Jack, you know, he, he's been a part of the Tickford furniture there for some time. Obviously, he went off and did the techno thing, which was a bit of a grounding for him, and he had the year at Matt White Motorsport. But uh, he's certainly been in that little orbit for a fair while, dating back to uh, his Super 2 years there. So, interesting. Yeah, part of me wonders, and the, my first thought was that, Jack has been backed by National Transport Insurance, NTI, for much of his career. Um, they, they are the truck assist on the side of the truck assist Mustang. Great looking car. Uh, Matt Stone Racing have been backed by Yellow Cover, which is an NTI brand. So I wonder if there's been a sponsorship change or a, a direction, perhaps, in NTI that they're going, right, well, rather than spending big to get on one car at Tickford, we'll spend what will probably be less money to get on both cars at Matt Stone Racing and to consolidate everything at MSR and just go real hard on both cars. So whether they run a yellow cover car and a truck assist car, I don't know. And and step back their level of branding at Tickford, I don't know. But that was the first thing that sprung to mind. And, and Jack has always been backed by them. Um, they've been very, very loyal throughout his career. So I wonder if that's part of the story. I suppose we'll only find out if and when it, it gets announced and if it comes true, but yeah, it's an interesting one, especially it being a straight swap, but it may be what they both need. It may be, you know, Jack's had a really rough, probably 18 months. I would have thought of Tickford. So potentially a change of scenery, change of car, change of team may work wonders for him. 
And as a young bloke coming up through the ranks, there are worse places where you could go and learn your craft alongside a Cam Water, James Courtney than Tickford Racing. So for Brody, that um, for Jake, sorry, that might be, it might work for both of them. It could actually end up being a, a really good thing for both drivers if it happens. Yeah, not, not knowing that it's fact, but sort of knowing what Matt Stone is like, they are really good at the B2B stuff there. Mm. If you look at the yellow cover deal, there's also Kubota there. Yep. So there's a really good synergy business to business between those sponsors. Whatever they chip in, they're getting back in returns just from the the networking that happens within that team. And they've got a million little sponsors all over the cars. So, mm. you know, if Truck Assist is able to sell uh, the roadside assistance package to all these other sponsors in the team and they all network around that way, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, because I don't think Monster Energy is buying that much Truck Assist, is it? So to, oh, to but, support but their so- energy drinks, but they probably do. But no, I, I get what you're saying, 100%. I think it's it has to be part of it if it goes ahead, for sure. But- you know, you look at Walkinshaw, there's truck assist on there and winning appliances have a fleet of a hundred trucks. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it makes sense. And I'm MSR, just... it, it's boys, it's going to be a good little team. It, they're, yeah. they're already, you know, like, like Zane in the shootout at, at Townsville this year. And how many times do we talk after a round or they pop up in the power rankings on the racetalk.com where we just squeeze them into a hot because they've, they've qualified 13th and 14th or, for two rookie, ostensibly rookie drivers. So I think they're on the cusp of being a really good little team. They've got great investment with Jason Gomisal heavily involved. So commercially and financially, they're well supported. They're in a good position to move forward. What will be a new era for the sport as well. And they're racing, mm. aren't they? Yeah, correct. No, they're, they're all about it. They're not there for the, yeah, yeah they're there for the, for the racing. So they take it serious. And don't forget too, Jake was uh, fifth in the, mess that happened up at Darwin earlier in the year as well. Exactly. So mm. yeah, they can jag results. The equipment's there. If they get all the data off Triple Eight like they should and the cars are up to spec, there's no reason why they can't produce results. Very much Rome wasn't built in a day team. They, uh, they've taken their time. They've done it right. And they've gotten themselves to a stage now where they could be very competitive over the next couple of years. The other big story that's been doing the round, boys, for supercars has been the announcement of the formats for Sydney. And the fact that we're going to have some sprint racing, we're going to have, I think, three weekends are going to be uh, the 125 or the 150, 125K races, and then the two 250K races on another weekend. The decision to use just the one track instead of the possible three that they could have used over time. Have they missed the mark here, gentlemen? So 250K races, okay. Don't mind that. I don't mind... I don't mind different format. That'll be at the Super Night event, the fourth event. So one of those will be under lights. So you get a good 90-minute race under lights, which I think will be quite a good show. And the fact that they're going to mix up with the super soft tyre, they get two sets of those. So it'll be one per race alongside the hard tyre, and they can't use them in practice or qualifying. I think that's a good thing. I can't help but feel like they've not gone hard enough at mixing it up. And I think the first thing is that the track layout using the same track four weekends in a row is frustrating when Sydney Motorsport Park has at least two, but possibly even three different layouts that you could use. So why I don't understand why they're not using the shorter circuit, the link road that goes left at turn four instead of right pops up over the crest. It's quite fast. It's quite dramatic. 
I don't understand why they're not running one of the three rounds on that with the super soft tire. So the, the whole thing about Sydney Motorsport Park boys last year was that the long loaded, fast flowing corners, a murder on tires. It's a high wear surface anyway. So you had great tire degradation. Now, on the shorter circuit, you don't get that so much because you remove all of the long fourth and fifth gear corners at turn five, six, and seven, and the big stop into turn eight at the hairpin. So just run them on soft tyre. You don't have to worry about them disintegrating or blowing up because you remove all the long corners where they wear the most. So I don't, I'm frustrated that they haven't had a big enough swing. It's funny, isn't it? Because you sort of feel guilty about being frustrated at this because we should just be rejoicing in the fact we're going back to car racing and yeah. they're going to get a season in somehow. But I still think they should have gone harder on track layout and possibly even some format differences like we talked about on the show last week. So we'll just run through them quickly. So the first one has a Friday two 30-minute practice sessions. So three-day race meeting for the first one. They could have almost saved a day in transit there by not having that Friday practice. But anyway, mm. uh, then a Saturday night race, two races Sunday afternoon. The second one, which they haven't called a super night race, uh, has a Saturday night and a Sunday night race. So Sunday night race, that's a Beautiful. bit of a gimmick. That's something a bit that's different. Yep. Jam that in prime time. Uh, you know, you've got the choice of 60 minutes or supercars, and I know what I'll be watching. And, and that's good too because it, it gives you – your time during the day to run all your errands, mow the lawn, do the things that you got to do around the house. My argument for a night grand final in AFL is I had a massively productive day and then drank a thousand beers while watching the football. Fantastic. Watch, well watch the races. Yeah. So then the third one, uh, similar formats, but no nighttime running by the looks of things. The last one, we're having a 40-minute uh, co-driver session. Uh, Friday night, 30 minute practice session, a Saturday morning, 30 minute practice session. Are you kidding me? So what's the, what's the point? We've mm. just run three weeks in a row. We've got three hours of practice plus the all the track. racing, all the qualifying on the same track. And then we're going out there for an hour 40 of practice. Mm. What's the point? And this is going to be the meeting where you're going to have all the ARG categories and everyone else, all the national categories that want to have a chop. They'll all be rolling up there for this last race meeting and we're taking track time away to wobble around and practice that nobody will be caring about. Mm. But yeah. anyway, cool. But then uh, Saturday, they've got top down shootout, 250k race at night and then Saturday, Arvo, 250k race. So funny, the, uh, the two three-day events top and tail it, which is interesting. Mm. It's going to be what events are on so that last event will be on yep. seven we know that for sure that was always part of the seven slate of events that they were going to cover this year what there'll be one other of those three before it and and you would bet your bottom dollar it'll be the one with the sunday night you'd race have so. because that that could be one of the higher rated supercar races for some time i mean there's that but then if you run three and four on seven then they get a bit of momentum up Heading into Heading Bathurst. Into Bathurst. Mm, Fox may have something to say about that, but okay. yeah, in, in the end, there's some. They've got to look after the, the big broadcaster too, but yeah. I mentioned watching the racing, and I actually meant the horse racing very much into the spring carnival. You've got Cox Plate, Guineas Day, and then uh, Stakes Day on, on three Saturdays, effectively all on seven. You could have horse racing in the, the daytime, and then Saturday night motor racing would be fantastic. Well, going off on a tangent, a uh, big topic at the moment is, will the ashes happen? Will the Poms come out here and bother trying? And that sort of segues into 
what's our feeling about the Grand Prix? I mean, I've heard a bit of chat around that it sounds like the tennis might be happening. They sort of run that in a bit of a bubble. But by mm. the same token, it sounds like by then, uh, at least Victoria and New South Wales will be living with COVID. So bringing plane loads of people in from overseas uh, with all their clobber for these big international events, it doesn't sound like it'll be too big a stretch. Will the, 12, mm. yeah, will the 12 hour happen? What What's our feelings and thoughts towards that sort of stuff? Um, I'm, I, I need cards on the table here and that I've people will know that listen to this show regularly that I've had a long involvement with the 12 hour from an, an event side, but I'm at the moment as in the dark as anybody as to what's going on with that event. I, I honestly, I'm not convinced it'll run next year. Mm-hmm. I just think it's too risky. You could probably do it, but it was, but it was long late time to risk. put things on boats though. Wasn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, normally the cars get on a boat after, um, after Kyle Army, which is yep. late October, early November. So I, I would, I hope I'm surprised, but I'm not counting my Bathurst 12 hours before they hatch. Grand Prix? Grand Prix. I, I reckon Grand Prix has to happen next year. The seven-day seven quarantine situation will help, even though it's seven-day home quarantine for returning Australians. I think that there's an opportunity for them to say, radio will also allow a seven-day quarantine for but the, people like tennis players or drivers to the, come the over. The difference to Bex next year will be by April. I, I think there'll be much more willingness from government yeah. to let them run in a bubble. Yeah. That was the big issue this year was that they didn't want to take the risk of the bubble bursting. Yeah. So the, this, this self-contained little biosphere that that uh, the FIA and Formula One have been operating under, they didn't want Melbourne, Victoria wasn't willing to take the risk, rightly or wrongly. That's It's their decision. That's what they wanted to do. But I think by April next year, when we're quote unquote living with COVID, then, and if we're not living with COVID by then, there's going to be rioting on the streets worse <laughs> than people hanging out at the cenotaph. Yeah. I'll give you the hot tip. Um, I think by then they'll be, so there might be some restrictions placed on them. But I, I think it's vital that they have that race next year because if they go another year without having that Grand Prix, I would. I would seriously put it in doubt for coming back. Yeah. Because there are so many countries lining up to get on this calendar now. You've just got a 10-year deal done with Qatar to join the calendar. And the the teams will rebel if they go beyond 23 races in the future. Something will have to give. And if you've got another Middle Eastern nation like a Saudi or Qatar coming in with 60 or 70 or $80 million a year to host a race, which is way more than what we pay, at some point, the economics will just add up, and they'll go, "Oh well, yeah. see you later." The uh, so, I yeah, think the, I, look, the other I, great, I hope it happens. The other great thing about it too is that F one has actually proven itself in regards to its COVID COVID compliance right around the world. They've jumped on drivers that have had COVID positive. They've been able to catch them in testing staff and the like. So they actually have a, a quite a good record in the past twelve months in regards to how they've handled. Everything. So I think that's a, a massive positive when the government looks at it and says, "Radio, what have these people been like before?" Mm. But if we're living with COVID by then, if there is a burst to the bubble, then it's really not going to make a lick of difference, is yeah, it? Correct, because no. they'll be going back to the UK where it's everywhere. So yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. feel like it has to happen though. I don't want to be dramatic about it, but I, I would be very concerned if it doesn't run next year for it to come back. Yeah, no, it's a it's a fair call. Mark, you're our uh, NASCAR watcher, and Talladega once again provides a uh-huh. another spectacular race, but all for the 
weird reasons of rain this time. Well, it was an interesting weekend in the old NASCAR. Um, three first-time winners in the three national touring classes, which is the first time that's ever happened in the history of the sport, which is a rather remarkable stat. And obviously there was a fair bit of carnage in the trucks in the nationwide race or the Xfinity races earlier on the weekend. And rain delayed uh, race till Tuesday morning Australian time with Bubba Wallace getting up for the win, which is... Um, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. It's... it's it's cool for multiple reasons. Obviously, the, the whole Bubba Wallace factor, I mean, he's the next generation coming through and he's been put up on a pedestal, rightly or wrongly, for all the things that have gone down, uh, you know, with race and whatnot in in the sport over the past 12 months. And so he's been the face of NASCAR and he's got this massive following and he's finally got the results, but it's great for McDonald's, his sponsor. They haven't won since 1994. Wow. So that's a pretty big Who was deal. The driver in '94. Uh, oh, I was that Hut Strickland, was it? No, it was that Jimmy Spencer. Jimmy Spencer, that's right. Mr. E. He's a, uh, a Ford Thunderbird. Hmm. He, he was an absolute <laughs> madman. You listen to some of his uh, podcasts that he's been doing lately. He is, he is off the Richter scale. And also, it's massive too because Michael Jordan, it's yeah, a team he's he owns. He just won a NASCAR race in his first season. So huge day for the sport. Obviously, a bit of controversy with it finishing under rain in rainy conditions there. But, uh, you know, NASCAR did everything possible to make it, you know, put an effort in. But uh, unfortunately, with no lights there at Talladega, they couldn't get the race in. So um, interesting times over there. And and certainly the playoffs are heating up because a lot of the, the good guys at the head of the field had dramas today. Even Kyle Larson, there weren't many crashes in the cup race, but... All the crashes took out good guys at the head of the field. And even Kyle Larson's had the season of his life and a huge buffer coming into the race, and he walked away with nothing. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays out next week on the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is always a bit of a wild card race. Yeah, that place is brutal, isn't it? Once again, it just brings up the playoffs as being just a fantastic way to finish off the season. I would love us to look at something similar. We're, our championship could be over with three three rounds to go. It's easy when you've got 30 races in a season to do, though, I think. Yeah, it's horses. Yeah, yeah horses. I, know, I understand it, that. It works over there because, yeah, like you said, there's 36 races in the year and it, it gives something to talk about for those last 12 races. And the way that they've got it rigged up now is that every stage during the year, so every half race, every quarter race, it all adds up. It all means something. You get bonus mm. points that carry yeah. on towards the end of the year. So the very first you know, quarter of a race at Daytona 500 means something going into the final race of the year, which is pretty cool. And you always have four teams going for it in the finale, which it's a format that works over there. But yeah, we just don't have a long enough season over here to to make it a meaningful thing. They'd have, have to go real races, hard. We? Well, yeah, they'd have to go real hard on each race being completely separate from. So we still look at it to go race eight, nine, ten in a weekend, mm. but we still look at it as a weekend overall. Around, yeah. They would have to. Yeah, we would have to look at it very, very but overtly as that. And and it could be that with 10 races to go, you're halfway through a round and you drop people off, which could be quite a good thing. So you could be at uh, you could be at the bend in August and like on Saturday, on Saturday you you set your you set your grid for the playoffs that start on Sunday and then run through. It could, I, don't know, it could I mean, I, I don't I don't think it really worked with Bathurst because that's too no, much of a wild card with too many variables and co-drivers and whatnot coming into the mix because it already is 
a weird situation where you've got this final series where even the guys who aren't in the top 16 are still out there competing, which is mm. a, a bizarre concept yeah. in sport. It's like if, if you're Bathurst, Richmond though, normally, and you're not. The thing with Bathurst is that normally you have four rounds after Bathurst to complete the season. So Bathurst could be your final round before the playoffs. And then your playoffs basically you go. Lose your, if you lose your spot in the playoffs because your co-driver fences it at McPhillamy Park. Yeah, that'd interesting. Be, that'd be tough. Uh, yeah. uh, who wins? Who wins, Mark? Um, so Hamlin, Larson, Logano, top three at the moment. Keselowski fourth. It's a great top eight with uh, Truex, Blaney, Elliott, and Bush. The top eight. You never rule out Kyle Bush. Hasn't had a great season, but um, it, it's. I know Hamlin's in front, but Larson's to lose, isn't it? On raw speed, surely. Yeah, I mean, Truex has been very good. And obviously, there's a connection there with James Small calling yeah, the shots for him. Good story. Which is good. And I'm a big Martin Truex fan. But uh, I think Kyle Bush is in a bit of strife. He he just hasn't been producing in the in the um, playoffs and had a shunt today as well. So he's looking pretty shaky. It's Kyle Larson's really, isn't it? Phoenix is going to be interesting because yeah. uh, obviously, Hendrick Motorsport were very good there last year with Chase Elliott and won the championship convincingly. That thing was an absolute rocket ship on race day there and, and smoked everyone. So they've obviously got something there different packages at the different races over there. They have different horsepower figures and the short tracks have a 750 horsepower high downforce package, which is something that the JGR cars have been very good at this year. So whoever qualifies uh, for that final four, it's going to be very interesting in a few weeks' time. But actually on that, you were saying Bathurst, one of the driver pairings that got, well, two driver Mm -hmm. pairings that got announced uh, today on Tuesday when we record was that, Johnson Racing, where brothers Davison teaming up in car 17 because Scotty McLaughlin can't get a leaf pass and the logistics is just too hard there. And the other car, Tony D'Alberto and Anton Di Pasquale. Thoughts? So which of the two is the favourite DJR car to put your money on? I'd have to say probably Di Pasquale and D'Alberto. On raw raw speed? The The fully sick Mustang, mate. It's interesting. I I like Alex and he's solid. And when he's paired with Will in the past, they've always been solid and they jag out the best they can from it. But you really need an A-plus pairing these days, don't you? When you look at what's happening at, at Red Bull Ampole Racing, they've got two A-plus combinations once again. And uh, you've got to have that sort of firepower to take it up to them. The, the question for mine will be, those crucial co-driver stints in the middle of the day and you've got you've got Alex Davison in 17 versus Garth Tander in 97. Now, Alex will back himself every day of the week because yeah. I know him. But in the heat of the battle, will Alex be as fast as Garth in no. a head-to-head fight? And uh, Garth's still very current in those cars. So... You'd probably go no, and that that as we saw in the race last year, is the deciding moment of the Bathurst One Thousand. Is how you come out the other side of that crucial co-driver stint on lap ninety or one ten or wherever it is. You you put your primary driver back in the car. That's that's where the race can be won or lost. So yeah, it, it, on paper, in that battle between Triple Eight and DJR and, and they're not the only contenders because I, I've got no doubt that Tickford and Walkinshaw are going to be very, very handy indeed. But yeah, it's advantage T8 on paper at the moment. Well, you look back last year at Car 17, they ran the exact same strategy that won them the race the year prior. But 
they had the co-driver in there trying to take it up to the mm. main drivers because the strategy got out of out of kilter and it, it just didn't work out for them. They just lost mm. too much track position there before those final stints and it, it didn't work. Now, and we don't know. It, it's going to be such an interesting race as well, Shebex, because yeah. running it in December. Yeah, I mean, it could. I mean, Bathurst has been hot in October, but. I've been at Bathurst in December for events and it's been 46 degrees and the track's 65 or 70. Crazy. And you don't quite get those extremes in October. You get your 30 degree days, but you don't get the the uber Aussie hot summer stuff. So that's going to change the complexion again on how a co-driver who might not be matched fit goes as well. You know, you talk about the heat, but then you're coming off all these races. Are they going to get the prep done where they can change out everything in the cars on the road that they normally do between that gap between the last round and Bathurst. They normally have a few weeks there in the workshop where they can just start again with the cars, stuff from scratch, put all the new components in the workshop. I think it might be a bit of a stretch. You might see a few mechanicals pop into it there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite so concerned at that. I, I think the teams are good enough to to run with that. And, and like, you know, the, the Vic team spent so long on the road last year that without any obvious or overt mechanical dramas, despite working out of their trucks for... For 120 days so I, I think they'll be okay and I, I think the the plan is that they the teams will just stay at sydney motorsport park for so they can obsessively they get five weeks at uh, eastern creek which is just delightful um wouldn't you surely you'd petition to to jam the cars in the truck sunday night after that last super night round and just move to bathurst and then spend a week prepping your cars in the yeah. bathurst pit lane or just the other side of the Biscuit factory there at Eastern Creek. Yeah, where, where the bin smell doesn't quite get to you. Yeah. I think yeah. by the end of the four days, they're going to be over it. But surely you go to Bathurst and prep your cars in the garages you're going to work from rather than spending another week in Sydney. Go, go to Wakefield Park. Make it some good garages there. Now, I know Ryan's story listens to this show religiously. Ryan, there is a perfect opportunity for you to get the fat pizza boys involved with this Delberto and Di Pasquale car. Two Italian <laughs> guys... It's just got to be the fat pizza comedy. It's got to be the fully sick Mustang, fluffy dice, all that sort of stuff. Shebex, we've just spent 10 minutes. for that perfectly. We've just spent 10 minutes discussing about the fact we don't think Car 17 can win the great race. I don't think he's going to be listening anymore, isn't he? (laughs) No, no, no. He understands. We like Ryan. Uh, Boys, always a pleasure. He comes on the show as well. Yeah, always a pleasure as always. Mm. It is. Exciting times. Countdown to racing. We're under 30 days. Beautiful. Looking forward to it. Catch you uh, next week, guys. Bye for now. We'll catch you next week too. Thanks for joining us right here on The Grid.